This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps people find and follow their bliss. Today, we have a very special show featuring two incredible stories. Finding Your Bliss is something our first guest, Wendy Murphy, knows all about. She was in a car accident when she was only 18 years old leaving her confined to a wheelchair, and because of her bravery, she found a new life purpose and has become an inspiration to so many people. She's here today to tell us about her career as a City TV television reporter and her incredible new book, Wendy Murphy's Law. Also on the show today, the winners of the Canadian Families Got Talent competition season. They're a group made up of three talented singers and songwriters, CJ Capital. Seth Sosky and Matthew Novary Joseph. Not only do they win first place, but they've been invited by celebrity judge Simon Cowell to appear on the next season of America's Got Talent. All of that coming up on today's show, but first, I'm so excited to introduce you to Wendy Murphy. Wendy Murphy is truly a person who knows how to find her bliss and overcome adversity in incredibly challenging times. In 1984, a serious motor vehicle accident paralyzed Wendy from the waist down. Following months of rehabilitation, Wendy found a new purpose in life to expose the issue of disability. Taking on modeling contracts with some of Canada's top retailers like Simpsons and The Bay, Wendy eventually moved on to commercial and television roles. Never went to shy away from a challenge. It was newsroom reporting that she set her sights on, and eventually she achieved exactly that. She joined the City TV news team in September of 1995, where she hosted her own television segment titled Wendy's Video Diary. Roaming the city for community news and personal milestones, Wendy brought personal stories to life and into the living rooms of thousands of viewers each week for an incredible eight years. Today, Wendy focuses her attention on the accessible parking permit program legislated through the government. With the aging population growing in age and in numbers, today it is difficult to find these parking spots vacant. Wendy hopes to see an increase in the spots currently available and a revision to the overall program. When not fighting for the rights of disabled people down at Queen's Park, Wendy is a part-time health coach who helps guide individuals with some form of spinal cord injury towards a more sustainable long-term health regime. She's also written a fantastic book. And I can really tell you, this book kept me up until the wee hours of the morning. And the book is called Wendy Murphy's Law, Whatever Can Go Wrong Can Be Made Right. Wendy, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. So great to have you here. Oh, Judy, it's my pleasure to be here today. For people who don't know your story, Wendy, you are a well-known television personality and reporter, and you were rendered as a teenager with incomplete paraplegia following a motor vehicle accident in 1984, and you really had two choices, to give up or to carry on with a tenacious spirit. And the way you've transported yourself and carried yourself is nothing short of miraculous. We're going to talk all about your book Uh, which I just have to congratulate you on, Wendy Murphy's Law, Whatever Can Go Wrong Can Be Made Right. It's so exquisitely written and so compelling, I really could not put it down. So congratulations on that. 
Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you. I, I spoke from my heart. Before we go through the book and your whole story, can you take us back and paint us a picture of what happened that night when you had this life-altering experience? A lot of it, I, I really don't remember a lot. And they say that your mind blocks out any, any form of trauma that you go through. But um, I was at Shirkston Beach. Uh, we took a long weekend with a bunch of friends. There was probably about 50 of us from our community. And there were three of us that were that were in the van. And um, so, yeah, we, we went to come home from the long weekend. And the driver uh, had lost control. I was sleeping, actually, on a mattress in the back of the van. So we had stopped for pizza just before leaving um, Fort Erie. And uh, I crawled into the back and laid down on a mattress. And my best friend, Grania, was in the front seat. And um, none of us were wearing seatbelts. They weren't, they weren't in, um, legislated at the time. So uh, the driver had lost control and the van rolled, rolled over quite a few times before coming to a complete stop, throwing me out of the van. <laughs> Unbelievable. How old were you when this happened? You were a young adult. How old were you? I was 18. Actually, it's funny, Judy, because my 19th birthday was a month later. So my first legal beer was prescribed by my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he sent me a beer with a prescription on it. You you were in Western Hospital. Yeah. And, and even your experience in the book of that says so much about your character, Wendy, because Unlike many people who would just be getting through it, you you actually made such an impression on the nurses, on the doctors, and you formed very close relationships and learned things like taking one day at a time from your doctor. Can you describe your memories of that period at Toronto Western Hospital? I think you're a product of your environment, Judy, and I grew up with a very close-knit family. And, and I don't think something like this doesn't change you. It takes an adaption to the changes that your life goes through, but I mean... They were very extremely supportive. Uh, the one day at a time rule was not to not to look forward or not to look back, because looking back, I had a lot of a lot of regrets in terms of you know not wearing a seatbelt and not going home with someone else even. So looking back was was not the right way to go, and looking forward because I had no idea what my future had ha would hold. My injury was incomplete, which I should say. My so the spinal cord wasn't severed; it was simply compressed. I slowly started to regain my, my sensation and I was hoping for my mobility eventually. But um, the one day at a time rule was to take it one day at a time. Mm -hmm. And you had a wonderful physiotherapist there, uh, Louise, and you moved on to a wonderful place called Lindhurst, which I'd like you to talk about and, and what a breath of fresh air it was after the hospital, even though you miraculously had a, a good experience in forming these wonderful relationships in the hospital. What was Lindhurst like for you, this rehabilitation center where you met a lot of like-minded people? Yeah, Lindhurst was like a breath of fresh air, really. I was in the general hospital for two months, Judy, so very confined to bed. I wasn't really getting up at all. So when I moved to Lindhurst, it was a, it's Lindhurst is a rehab center that I, that I'm strongly part of today, actually. Um, so it specializes in spinal cord injuries. So I, I go for all my testings, my, I, my bladder, my, I do physio there, um, or workout more of a gym, a fitness center. 
But um, so Lyndhurst specializes in spinal cord injuries. So all the patients there have in some way been inflicted with an injury or a, an issue with spinal cord. So um, going there, I was elated because the, the grounds were beautiful. Actually, even today, I, I'm really, when I look at the construction and the, um, at the architecture of the building, it's, it's got skylights in it. So, I mean, it was just so adorning. Uh, to to be brought in to such a such a wonderful atmosphere. Yes, and and you describe how beautiful the grounds were, and the fact that the room was all yellows and beautiful colors, and it was sunny. It was just a a chance to really start anew. And you had a roommate named Angie. Angela, yeah. Angie was a sad story. Angie was probably about sixteen, and she was lived. She was from Thunder Bay, so mm-hmm. she was. Um, uprooted from her family and staying at Lindhurst um, for the duration of her of her rehab. Angie's story was um, she was a, at graduation and they went to um, they all went to a cottage after graduation in Thunder Bay and she dove into a lake and broke her neck. So Angie's story was a little a little more tragic than mine because she lost the use of her arms. So we were we were real teammates uh, the whole time that I was at Lindhurst because I could help her with a lot. Yes, and you did. You you helped her brush her teeth and you did all of these things. So right away, even when you were in the most difficult period in your life, having to adjust to this new reality, you were being outward focused. I mean, this is such a, you just really live the finding your bliss mentality, which is really being outward focused. And, and you were doing that even when you were in the most difficult part of your life. And that struck me even early on in the book when I read that. It was, um, it was incredible. You also say you had a very supportive family who actually moved into a brand new wheelchair accessible home and did everything they could possibly do to make you feel comfortable. And before we get into what that transition was like, I know you've dedicated this book to your beloved late father, Gerald. Can you tell me about his impact on you during all of this? Because it seemed like he was always there encouraging you to take another step, to come home, to come home for weekends. Yeah, my family, all of them were incredible, but my father had a had a special impact on me. Um, my dad was, he was in sales and on the road a lot. He was a manager and uh, he came to Lindhurst all the time um, because he would avoid traffic actually and stop in to see me a lot. And um, my dad, emotionally, I got a, I, I gained a lot of strength through my father in terms of um, what to do and what not to do in terms of um, moving forward and still taking things one day at a time. So he, he, he shared a lot of his philosophies with me. And, um, and yeah, there were, in my difficult times, he would, my father's saying was always, God love you, Wendy. And he would take my hand and say, and you know, he does. <laughs> yeah. Aww. So he was very, in terms of strength, he gave me a lot of strength and, uh, he was very charismatic. Very charismatic is how I would. Uh, and he ruled. He ruled the home. So um, he put us all sort of in our place when we had to be. But he was <laughs> a strength for me. He was definitely a huge strength for me when all this came about. He sounds like a wonderful guy, and I think that he would be so proud of you uh, for writing this book. And and well, I'm sure, I know he was proud of you. But this book, I think he would be um, just beyond proud of what you've accomplished. When you went move back home. It was difficult, and your family did everything possible to make it good for you, but that must have been a very difficult transition to go from being with like-minded people, having all the space, having that wonderful mat work hour in the morning and your physiotherapy and classes, and to coming back home 
and having to fit into the world? It's a very good question, actually, Judy. And I was very fortunate because Lindhurst allowed us to go home on weekends. And those weekends um, sort of prepared me for what the real world would be because it's very easy to get institutionalized. And um, by that, I mean being around um, and totally the environment at Lindhurst was totally wheelchair accessible. We used to laugh at the people that walked in because they would have difficulty uh, bending down to reach water taps and um, because the facilities were so uh, wheelchair friendly. Um, so you could get institutionalized very easily because the facilities were so adapted. So I would go home on weekends and that's when my rude awakening would come because the home that my that we were living in wasn't accessible yet. So I would be carried into the home mm -hmm. and I, I lived in the front front office of, of, of the home yes. um, that they adapted into a bedroom for me on weekends. But um, and just going out in public, uh, just going out in public um, back in 1984. There weren't a lot of wheelchairs out in as active. Um, I, I always say, Judy, that my accident happened. My timing couldn't have been better because the bylaws were put into place. Wow. So access for as far as washrooms being being mandated, as far as uh, the parking permits um, that were that are now, uh, you know, a very important part of my existence. Of course. Um, all the bylaws, as far as access goes, were starting to be implemented when my accident happened. So I knew that I would have a voice. Of course. But the real world was a rude awakening because, yeah, it, the implementation was there in terms of the bylaws, but the. Uh, the actual adaptations weren't quite up to date. I cried so many times during the book. And, and one of the times I just really felt for you was before you left Lindhurst, when you actually took a driving lesson. Yes. And you got back in yes. a car. And I mean, my goodness. Yeah, driving was a real difficulty initially because my father would take me home on the weekends. And I'll never forget the first time in a car. It, I was very tense. I guess having the experience of the accident, it was very jarring. And... Um, I knew that I knew that I, I would want to drive again, um, just for my independence. And I, you know, slowly adapted to to driving and being back on the road. So I went to um, Hugh McMillan Center. Hugh McMillan Center was close to Lyndhurst, and uh, they had they offered um, driving. So I drive today. I drive with hand controls. So there's a it's a it's a bar that's um, with with poles that are attached to the gas and the brake. And, um, I push, I push down, I pull down on the bar for the gas and I push in on the bar for the brake. So I've been driving since the accident occurred and the driving lesson was, yeah, it was, it was, it was very, very challenging initially because I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really driven with hand controls before. So there was, um, there was a simulator that they had set up at Hugh McMillan center. So they sort of tested me on the simulator just to make sure that my, um, my reflexes were good. And, uh, eventually that day we did go out, we did go out in a car. <laughs> I know. I, I couldn't believe when I read that you literally were just working with that simulator. They said, you're an excellent student. I think you've got this. And then they said, we're going to do it today. And I think you said, well, can we wait? Can we do it? Can we do it another exactly, time? And they said, no, exactly. today's <laughs> it took me, took me aback. It was pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. And that's sort of the way to do it. I think that's sort of what happened. I think all throughout your journey was you were strong and you kept taking another step, taking another step forward. And, and that's, that's why you were able to, to move in the way that you have and, and really be an unbelievable example for so many people. I can only imagine the serenity that you felt when you finally ascended into that elevator, into your bedroom that your parents created for you in this new home that they created. And, um, 
after sharing a hospital room and a room with three patients to be in your own room. Was that an unusual feeling to finally be suddenly alone? It was. And it was, it was sort of mixed emotions initially because I was at Lindhurst for six months. So initially um, it it was very overwhelming. It it was, I was so, uh, there was a lot of gratitude um, for the fact that they, they had uprooted and bought the house for me and had it modified. But at the same time, I didn't have nurses and, you know, sort of my support system that I had. So there, there was some, it was mixed. I was very, very happy to be there um, and so grateful to have such a wonderful family that supported me. But, um, th- but yeah, it was, it, it was elating, um, but at the same time, a little overwhelming. Um, but my family, again, brought me through the process mm-hmm. beautifully. Mm-hmm. The first time you went out to a bar with your sister, Kim, and I think you were greeted by about 25 of your friends, and this was upon your return yeah. home, and, and this was your first time really out in public that way, yes. you realized it, it wasn't only the logistics of moving around in a wheelchair that you'd have to overcome, it was also the limiting attitudes of the people around you. What are your memories of your first excursion out to the bar that night. I think it started off in a very good way, but oh, it did. Greeting all my friends, yes, and and understand that they had more of an understanding in terms of what had happened, and that I would, uh, you know, at one time I was able-bodied, and the whole the whole idea uh, of me transitioning. But um, yeah, being out in public, some of the people, just the attitudes that I faced. Um, I remember at one point we had to use the bathroom. I had to use the washroom and we all know that crowd, how the crowds sort of gather in bars and the music's playing. So it's hard for them to hear. And my sister led the way to the washroom and we were, we were sort of interrupted with people, you know, sort of in our way throughout it all. And at one point there was a girl that said, why would she come here? Um, and I'll never forget hearing that. Um, and it just, it devastated me because here I was doing my best to become part of the mainstream society again. And um, so there were definitely attitudes. But I think, I think that you run into that. And I'm, I'm, an, I'm a proponent on seeing the glass half full. And you're going you're gonna to run into people with, with attitudes or with, um, you know, sort of an ignorance to, to what the norm could be. And uh, you just, you can't let them in any way deter you. Um, otherwise, uh, otherwise, I would have never made it as far as I did. Even though your job did welcome you back with open arms, you decided that sort of too much had changed. And you decided to go back for some post-secondary education to Sheridan College to um, enroll in their business administration course as a full-time student. And this was just a year after the accident. Uh, and at the same time, you were listening to the radio one morning and you heard about Star Trek's talent, an agency that specializes in physically challenged talent. And because you'd always done modeling in your in your younger years, you decided to call the agency Rona Mickelson, a call that would really change your life. Absolutely. What happened? Actually, Judy, it was Marilyn Dennis. It was the Roger Rick and Marilyn show that I was that I was listening oh, to. Oh, okay. So, and, and I did. I actually met with Marilyn since the book. But um, so yeah, because I did. I did get a chance to work with Marilyn. But um, yeah, so it was the Roger Rick and Marilyn show in the morning. And uh, yeah, I was getting ready for school, and um, <laughs> they had talked. And I had already because I had modeled previously. I had thought about you know, approaching the modeling agency. It was Judy Welsh at the time. Hmm. And uh, I was, you know, thought about reapproaching Judy. And 
Um, it, I just felt through exposing the issue, the more people turned on television and picked up magazines and saw people in a wheelchair, the less they'd be so shocked and astonished by them to be out in public and, you know, sort of um, integrating with society. So that was sort of my concept and, and where the idea came from. But when I heard Rona Mickelson talking about her agency, I just, I freaked out. I, I was just so elated. So I, um, I, yeah, I phoned her and uh, the conversation went really well. And she had just asked me to send some photographs. And oh. I did. And the rest, um, the rest is history. Mean, my, my life totally evolved. Yeah. We're going to take a short commercial break right now. When we come back, more with Wendy Murphy back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. back. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. We have a very special guest, Wendy Murphy, with us today, the author of this truly incredible book called Wendy Murphy's Law, Whatever Can Go Wrong Can Be Made Right. And we've been having a, a delightful conversation. So, Wendy, what happened? Can you tell us about your best friend, Grania, and your memories of her, because I think that was probably one of the toughest things for you to deal with since the accident was losing your best friend. Absolutely. Um, and it, it slowed down my process because I did a lot of mourning before and there was a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt that, um, you know, that we didn't put the seatbelt on and that I didn't get in the front seat and all of that. But Grania was, she was a breath of fresh air. She was, um, extremely, uh, vibrant. She was very vivacious, uh, very outgoing. Um, she was, she was a lovely, lovely young woman. Um, we were, we were very, very close. She was like my right hand really. Um, in terms of, uh, we, we did have a separation in high school for a year or two and, um, we had just sort of reconvened our, our relationship. Um, before the accident had happened. Um, but yeah, she was, she was a huge portion of my life and the, we were called ink and stink, you know, just, uh, never separated. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so wow. she was, she was wonderful, a wonderful part of my life. She, uh, I think would be very proud of what you've done with your life. And, um, it's almost like in her memory, you've, You've done so many wonderful things. And we were just talking before the break about how you were on Roger Rick and Marilyn and you heard about this contest and this agency and you contacted the agency, Rona Mickelson. And this was an agency that specializes in physically challenged talent. And it, it did change your life when you were accepted in the agency. And one of your first jobs was at the Bay modeling. And that must have been so exciting. Do you remember that shoot? Can you describe it? Absolutely. I remember the shoot. There was two people in the, in the green, well, the green room or the prep room, I guess. Yeah. 
uh, one girl, the, the one girl that uh, that assisted, that was part of my my shoot with me, she was incredible, uh, just in terms of her acceptance. And it was very awkward initially, you know, especially to see a wheelchair. And I mean, sometimes you faced people or the people that that didn't really see me as part of the the norm i guess again you run into attitudes all the time yeah and especially in in such a superficial world it was because uh, modeling you know the way perfection is sort of uh personified and mm -hmm. um all of that so um but yeah the first shoot was wonderful um and we were put in opposite sort of colors and but we matched and um yeah and the photographer was mm. very receptive wow and then you got a role on the hit CBC show Street Legal. I know Sonia Smith. I know a lot of the people on that show. That must have been so thrilling to get that call, that audition. It was. Actually, Sonia was wonderful because I'll never forget one of my first days of taping. Um, it was Sonia and Eric Peterson. And there was a scene where they had me, um, they were sort of profiling me. They had me come down the come down the courtroom or the, the hallway and uh, they had Sonia and, and Eric Peterson sort of meet and me sort of wheel between the two of them. And Sonia Smith was, was very receptive to me and, you know, sort of put her hand on her hip and said, girl, you're really moving that thing. <laughs> so she was very, uh, very, very That's so amazing. Yeah. You know, I think, and I wonder about this, Wendy, do you think it is your fearlessness that is one of the things that has propelled you to such heights. I couldn't believe when I got to the chapter about not only did you drive a car immediately, you know, before leaving um, Lindhurst, but you even went to BC and you went skiing. Yes, I did. And I'll never forget <laughs> the ski trip yeah, because my mother thought that I was definitely out to kill myself at that point because oh, <laughs> I'd broken my leg. I'd broken my leg at oh. Honeypot, which is, which is a, a bump on, on ground. Uh, compared to the hills that I was going to be facing in BC, but yeah, it was um, again through my modeling and um, and my acting. Uh, I guess I became a spokesperson for for the disabled community, and CADS, the Canadian Association for Disabled Skiers, they want they wanted someone that would sort of represent the disabled community to uh, promote. Uh, mono skiing to the average person and they asked me and I agreed and my mother thought I was crazy because um, I had broken my leg in grade seven and just on yeah on a, on a very small hill but um, no it was a wonderful experience it was um, just you know what I, I was always very open to anything that was anything that would expose it became my purpose anything that would expose and uh, and and teach other people um, that we're, we're here and we're not going away <laughs> exactly. uh, sort, of, sort of mentality. Yeah. Like, wow. um, and that we're really capable of doing just about anything that we're given the opportunity to do. So incredible. Your career then really started to take off after this all. And you got a job as a part-time field reporter for a show called Street Noise on YTV. And your career was in a real upswing as you write with modeling jobs at the Bay, Sears, working on air as a reporter. And as you write, there was very little time to dwell on the small stuff and your mission of just, as you've just said, your mission of promoting the issue of wheelchairs in the disabled community seemed to take on a life of its own. You became Miss Venus Toronto in 1993 in a yes, pageant <laughs> and went on to compete internationally, receiving the Contestant Choice Award at the Miss Venus International Pageant in Boca Raton, Florida. Can you describe what that experience was like? Uh, that was that was pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, it was... Um, 
uh, the pageant again it was thought that it was it would be a great sort of stepping stone and um, something that was never done before uh, in terms of me entering the pageant and I thought why not you know um, I had a glass of white wine which loosened me up a little bit but yeah that was, um, but yeah it, it, my agent just said Wendy well you know this is an opportunity of a lifetime why don't you go for it so I did wow. and uh I ended up placing um, placing third that night, uh, the first night that I went there, and I had to go back um, in terms of, um, I guess, the finalists then all came together, and uh, and I ended up winning the pageant. But that was, I think, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was so sh- um, so so brazen and and courageous to do it, um, and mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think that I really shocked the judges in terms of my. Yes. Um, my tenacity in terms of doing it. So I think that's what really, really got me to win the pageant. It was, it was a wonderful experience. And I have to say too, Judy, I've always been extremely proud to be a Canadian because in Canada, things are mainstreamed um, in terms of, you know, like to be inclusive is, is everything because, you know, in some of my, some of my, uh, my situations outside of, outside of Canada, um, because there was Miss Wheelchair USA is so they segregate they segregate um, uh, their individual yeah individuals whereas with with Canada we're just so um, I guess because of we have the multicultural sort of mentality and um, everyone is is made to fit in we're a mosaic and uh, so I've always been extremely proud um, to be Canadian for that reason. What was it like interviewing Gloria Estefan? That must have been incredible. It was after her accident. She had a bus accident and you got to interview her. And I was so impressed with how you just were able to really isolate the most important questions and just go for it in the time that was allotted to you. Yes, it was. Um, she was she was an incredible. And I'll have to tell you, uh, I guess with the wheelchair and um my upper body gets very stronger now because I use the wheel. To, I use my my hands and my arms to to put to get around. But um, when sure. I when I handshake, when I give people handshakes, my dad always said to my sister and I, girls, when you shake a person's hand, you shake it firm and you look them in the eye. So I have a very firm handshake. <laughs> yes. And when Gloria Astefan took my hand and shook it, she now I, I realized what other people were saying about my handshake. She, it was so firm. She was so grounded in all that she did that it was just it was it was my first impression of her. But she was extremely extremely focused in terms of her career and uh, her family. Again, I think you're envi- again, Judy. You're envi- you're a product of your environment. Your environment really says a lot about the person that you that you evolve into. And she she had said that Emilio was was one of her biggest um, supporters and was determined to see her back on her feet. So she was very fortunate that way. But um, the interview, the interview went superbly well. And, uh, and yeah, she was, um, she was, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful first time, first time star anyway, for me, because she was so You also, Wendy, went on to be a hidden guest on the legendary CBC television show Front Page Challenge with Pierre Burton in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. That must have been so cool. Well, my parents were totally thrilled because, I mean, (laughs) I wasn't really a viewer of the show as much as my aunts and uncles. I mean, my family family were thrilled with the idea. And um, (laughs) I didn't know much about the show, yeah. So um, anyone that was was older... um, 
were were avid fans of the show. So yeah, for me it was um, it was quite it was quite a quite an experience. And Pierre Burton, he was he was oh just lovely. He was a lovely man. Wow. So, so exciting. I love the part in the book where you talk about Phyllis Newman, who was the producer on the first season of this show, Finding Your Bliss. And I love the story of how she helped you with your demo reel that day. So I was dabbling in the modeling and I was dabbling in the, you know, the on again, off again appearances with Street Legal, but nothing was sound. Nothing was keeping me there. So I thought television reporting would be my next sort of challenge mm-hmm. and something that I wanted to accomplish. So, and I wanted city TV. I really did want city TV. City TV was very representative of the, uh, of the city and had a lot of minorities already. So I, I already knew where I wanted to go. Um, and, uh, so I needed a demo tape. As we know in television and radio, it's so important to have a good demo reel. And I know who provided that awesome reel for you. It was Phyllis Newman. It's, it's such a resume for me and people today are still freaking out over what a great job she did with the demo tape. <laughs> I really want to get to the most exciting thing, which was your meeting at 2 p.m. on that Thursday afternoon with City TV television mogul Moses Neimer and, of course, the owner of Zoomer Radio. What was that like? That was a two and a half hour meeting. It was, I was <laughs> extremely nervous. I had read about the man for years and, um, and I loved city TV. I loved what it represented. And, uh, just in terms of all that he had done f- with television, um, in terms of, yeah, the, the changes that he had made and, um, a much more laid back sort of, uh, atmosphere is what he offered. And yeah, so I was, I was very poised at um, approaching City TV, and it turned out that Jay Levine, who um, was the head of or producing um, fashion television, he had passed on my press kit to Moses. And uh, yeah, so my interview with him was just fabulous. I was very nervous, to say the least, and he was extremely <laughs> accommodating. Um, yeah, he was he was wonderful. He was wonderful, extremely accepting in my in my in my differences and uh yeah we were we were together for quite a while i love i love in the interview you explained he asked you a lot of questions about who you were and what your place was in your family and you know um and and also you you offered up this information that at city tv people do not tell the news they share the news and you talked about Anne Ruskowski and her strengths and all of a sudden Moses dialed an extension and Anne appeared and he invited her into the meeting. What was that like? That was incredible. Like again, he, <laughs> it was, you know, when you, you almost feel like you're dreaming because here this man was someone that I read about for years and then he brings me into his office and he's so, um, so um, accepting and um, extremely kind and uh, there was no ego or, or, yeah, he was very humble through it all. And, uh, yeah, so this Anne Ruskowski, I'll never forget because I knew a lot <laughs> of people that didn't like Anne Ruskowski. They thought she was too too hard and I found her very confident. So, yeah, I just said that I, I thought she was phenomenal and he walked over to his desk <laughs> and picked up his phone and said, hey, are you around? And sure enough, sure enough, Anne Ruskowski came in and and, and met me. But uh, so the interview was definitely very memorable. 
he he actually took your demo reel. He put it inside the VCR player. And then for, for those viewers, a VCR is what we used to watch our demo reels in. And and your first actual TV interview for CTV was at Lyndhurst. And then one year later, you were hired as a contributing reporter at City TV, where you worked for eight phenomenal years. Can you tell us about this life-changing job that you held for almost a decade and how it changed your life? It was, it was great because, first of all, my stories, my stories were personal milestones and community events. So the stories really hit, hit home with the viewers. So I wasn't sharing hard news. So it, a lot of them would be a bone marrow, um, bone marrow donor, donor clinic. It would be uh, personal. It would be 100th mm-hmm. birthdays. It would be a 60th wedding anniversary. So they were very, very uh, human, human-like stories um, and surviving stories. And uh, so the stories themselves were wonderful and everyone loved, uh, I guess, to see that sort of segment come in hard news. A lot of people were very receptive to my stories. So, um, and what I did for other people, um, I'll never forget this one day I was doing, um, it was disabled disabled uh, wheelchair racing um, down at Centennial Park. And I was, you know, I, I would meet the cameramen there normally because I couldn't really jump into their trucks the way the other girls did. So I would I would drive and meet the cameraman. And the cameraman had left me with the tape and I had to, I would drive back to the station with the tape that was done. And this woman walked over to me at one point and she just said, you're Wendy Murphy, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And she said to me, I'm hard time I, I can't believe what you do oh my goodness and then I just said to her you know I said that regardless of how bad life seems there's always someone that's struggling more and if you could focus on that I said and if I could be that person um you know just to sort of get snap out of it because there's always and Lindhurst Lindhurst was phenomenal for me because there were people that broke their neck and couldn't use their hands and those are people that I wait I think of every morning I wake up so you when you have your life in perspective and when you know that there's other people that are much worse off, um, you start to feel gratitude again. So I think that's, that's really important. And when I met that woman, it just, it really showed me what I'm doing. What I was doing was really making a difference for other people, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you do, and you have, after spending more than three decades in a wheelchair, what do you feel have been your greatest accomplishments and what still needs to be achieved? My greatest accomplishment, yeah, was probably um, probably finally getting on city. Like, I, I mean, my greatest accomplishment is the changes that I make and the um, the attitudes and perceptions that I change because I believe things happen for a reason, and I do believe I'm very spiritual, and I you know believe that God or the you know the good spirits, the universe, has given me a wonderful a wonderful opportunity in terms of. Um, you know, what I've been able to do in terms of changing, it's given me a platform to some degree. And uh, I've tried to use it as positively as I could to change, to let people know that, uh, you know, that, that life goes on when something devastating happens. And then it's, you know, it's not all over. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really life is in your mind. Life is made up in your mind in terms of what, you know, what you're able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And the more that you limit yourself, the less you're going to achieve. So, so long as you have the right frame of mind mm-hmm. and the focus, um, I think that anything is accomplished, 
accomplishable. What would you still like to achieve? What would I still like to achieve? The access issue is is huge for me now, um, just in terms of, mm-hmm. because back in 1984, you never really saw wheelchairs out in public. And now, now we're everywhere. I mean, just in terms of um, public notice and, and all of that. I mean, we're all over the place. It's just barriers barriers we're still facing and and that's sort of the frustrating part like right now i'm, I'm dealing with the uh, parking permits which um a lot of times with this with the aging population judy it's become a, a huge problem because um there's there's so many more people needing the spaces and not more spaces being being hmm. you know created um, yeah designated. Sure. So yeah, so I'm with Queens Park in that because uh, when I, I get anxieties now to go out in public because I'm not sure whether or not I'm going to find a spot, and uh, yeah, so that's so that's one uh, one avenue that I'd still really like to accomplish something at. Thank you so much to Wendy Murphy for being here today. We're going to go to a short commercial break. When we come back, you will meet our featured artists of the week who are now also grand prize winners of the Breakfast Television and America's Got Talent competition season. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. are back. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And today we are thrilled to have as our featured artists this week, the grand prize winners, wow, of the Canadian Families Got Talent competition run by Breakfast Television Toronto and America's Got Talent. And the group is Season. And I'm so happy to introduce you now to an incredible singing group. So Season is spelt C-Z-N, and they are the talk of the town right now, and I'm about to tell you why. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about them. Season is a singing group that has a sound that meshes R&B, rap, and pop all into one with catchy hooks and verses that showcase more personal sounds. And in the group are three very talented artists, CJ Capital from Ottawa, Seth Zosky from Toronto, and Matthew Novary joseph from Hamilton. They come from different musical backgrounds, which has added to the creation of an intriguing mix in their sound. They're currently studying voice and music at Sheridan's College in Oakville, and they're making Sheridan very proud right now. Season is growing a real following and has people eager for their new music, especially now after some very big news that just happened. So originally, they were selected for the top 10 of Canadian Families Got Talent, a competition run by Breakfast Television, Toronto City TV, and America's Got Talent with the top three finalists being judged by Simon Cowell. Then on Monday, May 25th, 
They made it into the top three. Then on Tuesday, May 26th, a day they'll never forget, they became the grand prize winners, and it was announced by the one and only Simon Cowell. Here is a clip from the announcement that they won first place in the Canadian Families Got Talent competition. Let's have a listen. The winner is... Season. I love the other two, but I have to tell you guys, I think what you did, I think you're very current, I think you're very cool, I think you're very likable, most importantly, really, really talented, creative, inventive, um, and I can't wait now to meet you in person. Wow. Wow. Seth, CJ, and Matthew, congratulations and welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Hello. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having us. A huge congratulations. And it's all true what Simon said. You're all likable. You're all current. You're cool. Your music is fantastic. And I'm so delighted for all of you that you're being honored in such an incredible way. Seth, how did you feel when you heard your names being said by Simon Cowell as the grand prize winners of the whole competition? You know, it's just amazing. Like, the, I was in shock. I, it, was, it, was a bit in, it was a bit in disbelief, too. Um, to have someone like that be talking about us, like it, it's just a dream come true, you know, and, and we really <laughs> think it could launch off our career in, in a, a special way. Uh, and it, it's just like it jump starts it and it's amazing. It's, it's just unbelievable. Like I actually have the shivers as I'm talking to you guys because this is so exciting and I think we're all feeling it. Matthew, what did you think when not only did Simon Cowell call out your names and that you were winning $25,000 in prizes, but then in a very unprecedented and very exciting development, he invited you all to be contestants on the next season of America's Got Talent. What went through your minds when you heard that? I uh, honestly, honestly, I was like, this isn't real. Like, I'm going to wake <laughs> up tomorrow and and we're going to we're going to talk about like what we're going to do if we win the competition. Like, that's what was going through my head. And I had to like, <laughs> I had to pinch myself and be like, no, this is like real life. I I, I said it on the show, but um, having somebody of Simon's pedigree say that about us and our music and our brand really is a vote of confidence and and kind of gives us a little oomph to keep doing what we're doing you know doing what we love uh absolutely yeah, kind of wow it's, it's so incredible. And uh, CJ, what has been the reaction of your family and friends? Like people must be going nuts because I know I am. <laughs> I'm not your family, but I'm, I know everyone I know is, is so happy and excited. What about your own family and friends, CJ? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a wild reaction. Everyone's so happy and, you know, sending lots of congratulations and we're so happy for you, so proud of you. And uh, I'm very grateful because when it came to the voting rounds, we had to hit up a lot of people and be like, yo, vote for us, spread the word. And everyone came through and they supported. So it's been great. 
also for all of you and anyone can take this when Simon Cowell said you're you're also likable and you're cool and you're current and he really can't wait to meet you and that he listened to your you know winning selection he listened to your video and watched it three times which is like oh my gosh like that in itself is so incredible what did you feel when he was saying those words was it a bit surreal yeah I mean that was just (laughs) That was insane. And and we just we're we're so excited to hopefully meet him in person soon. And I mean, he has our contact our contact info now, so we're just waiting. <laughs> So great. Wow. I'm going to ask all of you what happiness and bliss is for you right now, but I think I know the answer. What is bliss for Seth Zosky? Bliss for me is is just being able to connect people uh, through art and especially music, uh, because I've been doing that from a very, very young age, uh, you know, singing in homeless shelters, singing for, uh, uh, individuals with severe disabilities. Um, and, and I've just, I've just learned that the power of music is, it's, it's just so powerful. And, and I, I love to connect people of all different kinds throughout the whole world through, through this art form. So. Well, you're, you're going to get, get the opportunity to do that, which is so wonderful. And I'm so happy for you. CJ, what brings you happiness and bliss? Mm, I think for sure right now, in a time of a lot of division and what's happening in the States right now, um, mm-hmm. which is bringing a lot of division in communities, it's really the music and the music that I get to make with my brothers here at Season and oh. uh, bring, bring music to bring people together, you know? So, so that's for sure that's my bliss yeah that's so great and what is sheer bliss for matthew sheer bliss for me would have to be the act of truly understanding someone else i feel as if um like we think about like language barriers and and social barriers and political barriers and and all of these things that can keep us apart um and and things like education and visual art and and music of course like those those are the pinnacle of of jumping over those barriers and i think whenever i'm in a space where those barriers are being transcended i am in a state of sheer bliss Hmm. Wow. I I actually, from listening to you guys, I see what Simon Cowell loves about you, that not only are you like uber talented, but you're just nice guys, like you're great guys. And it's just so, so wonderful. What is the best way for people to follow your group on Instagram and how can people listen to your music? Yeah, the best way uh, is for sure to go uh, on our Instagram, which is uh, season. So it's underscore C dot Z dot n underscore and uh you'll be able to find the link in our bio right there uh through our spotify we're on apple music uh amazon music if that's how you roll um <laughs> ever we also have a twitter and uh we're also on facebook so just look up season and uh put a little title behind it like season time zone that's our most popular song and you can find us Oh, that's a gorgeous song. We're going to hear one of your tracks right now, On the Low. Can one of you set up this clip for us, On the Low? How did it sort of, what was the inspiration behind that song? Yeah, so On the Low, 
it, I think it might have to be our, our favorite song that we've done. It's, it's the latest one we've released. And we just, the, the idea of it is, is, you know, to keep, the, keep things, keep things on the low, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's pretty self-explanatory within, within the lyrics, but, um, we, we really love the vibe of it. And we, we threw CJ in on a rap in the whole second verse, uh, which showcases mm. a whole different, uh, a different side of what we can do uh, as a group and, and how many different, you know, different genres we can bring in. So. That's fantastic. So here it is on the low by season. Let's have a listen. <laughs> season. Don't want this night to end I know I feel you as more than a friend I'm pulling on my heart, get the real stuff I wanna be around when it gets tough I look around, don't see nobody else It's so clear, but do I keep it to myself? They may see, but baby, I won't tell The way you move, it got me hot as hell I've been waiting for a while But I'ma wait all day You the one I think about when I lose my weight So let's just do our thing They don't gotta know what's up When you ain't feeling that party We can link up at the club like I can be your man I know they won't understand, girl Let's be real though Maybe we should keep it on the want that to end well that's fantastic love that song thank you all so much for being on our show Seth Sosky, CJ Capital and Matthew Novry Joseph and congratulations to you and your families on winning Canadian Families Got Talent each week we spotlight a singer singer songwriter or musician on the show if you're a singer and you want to be considered to appear on Finding Your Bliss just write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com 
And I want to thank you all again so much for being here today. And good luck with joining America's Got Talent next season. That's We're all going to be tuning into that. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you, you so much, much for having us on your show. It's absolutely our pleasure. And congratulations to you all. I also want to give a special shout out to Mary Louisa Helen, the head of the commercial vocal department at Sheridan College, for having the great suggestion that these three talented young guys would sound amazing together. They are so grateful to Mary Lou for having the great idea that they sing together and form a group that has now become the winning group, Season. I would like to thank all of my guests for being here today. The wonderful Wendy Murphy. So great to speak to Wendy and read her wonderful book, Wendy Murphy's Law. And also a big thank you to Season for being here today to tell us all about your exciting news about winning the Canadian Families Got Talent competition and appearing on the next season of America's Got Talent. Thank you to CJ Capital, Matthew Novery Joseph, and Seth Zosky. Also a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kylie, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. We're going to close out the show today with a short inspirational quote from Timber Hawkeye, and here it is. You can't calm the storm, so stop trying. What you can do is calm yourself. The storm will pass. For your daily dose of happiness and positivity, uplifting quotes, videos, free giveaways, and Bliss Minutes, follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram or go to our website at findingyourbliss.com. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.